Hi, folks. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I am your co-host, Nadia Butt. I'm an organizational development and belonging strategist. And as always, I am so lucky to be joined by Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in DEI and people analytics. Hello, Rob. A specialist strategizing in. I could have done that. Could have <laughs> could have mixed it up a little bit there, right? I don't even know what I read. <laughs> Wait, did I read it wrong, Rob? For real? No, you're oh. right. Oh, okay. <laughs> you paused. You paused though, and I thought I you're did. right. I could make. I could change the words there. Yeah, it'd yeah. be fine. How yeah. are you, Nadia? I'm doing well. How's your week going? What's um? You know what I meant to ask you is. Yeah. Are you reading anything fun these days or watching anything fun or any Ooh. debates that you're keeping up with? <laughs> any debates that I'm keeping up with? Uh, I, the only thing I'm, I'm, I'm just got a new book called Evidence-Based Management, which promises to be really good. I, okay. I know that that's not fun. Yeah, I was like, seems that to be like <laughs> seems to be really well written. So I'm okay. kind of excited about uh, like uh, diving into that a little bit. How about okay. you, Nadia? Is that... Is that fun? Did you qualify that as fun? Yeah, I think, I mean, depending on the, you know, depending on what you, what you enjoy. But to me, that sounds like fun. I'm actually <laughs> reading a book called Why We Sleep by Matthew ah, Walker. Yeah. Um, so the psychology yeah. and like benefits around sleep. It's I really got one of these, uh, one of these whoop trackers. I don't know, like, I got, oh, yeah. like, cause I, I, I really don't like the Apple Watch. I like, I've always made fun of it. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm never going to get that. But I would like to know, like, from the health, standpoint like what's happening to me like what your and, sleeping habits are or something yeah it's, it's just for exercise and for sleep habits and just general health and sure. so the the whoop tracker told me that i need to go to bed at like eight o'clock at night <laughs> and i was like <laughs> yeah I was like, right as like you know i probably haven't been to bed at eight o'clock at night uh since you were like since 10? i was eight since <laughs> yeah. i was eight right so right. i was like well maybe a little aspirational so that um, is funny so i learned that i'm not sleeping enough and uh i you know that's uh, probably like most people but yeah <laughs> that's true all right rob well this week on inclusive collective we're going to do a few news stories and then we're also going to have some raves and rants which i'm really looking forward to a rave and rant sandwich i believe a rave and rant sandwich that could well, be the me... title of the episode <laughs> actually it should be well let me go ahead first all right sounds great let's get to the deets Rob, do you like a good road trip? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you, do you appreciate like a good rest stop while you're driving? Uh, I don't know if those exist, but yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. If like, <laughs> Some if, of them if, don't. If, if there was something that I could consider like a good rest stop, yeah, for sure. Okay. So according to an AP News article, New York lawmakers have introduced a bill that would require restaurants in the New York State Highway System rest areas in particular to operate seven days a week. This bill, if it turned into law, would impact a few restaurants, one being the fast food chain Chick-fil-A. Uh -huh. um, Chick-fil-A, for some who don't know, um, you know, people love its chicken sandwiches, but also dislike it. Um, I've actually heard, dislike Chick-fil-A, I've actually heard it be called or described as hateful chicken um, as its founders' opposition to same-sex marriage, um, also keeping its stores closed on Sundays for religious purposes. And so just your thoughts on this. If well, any. my first thought was I thought of the Kanye West song that yeah. I sent to you. <laughs> you did it called send it to Closed me. on Sundays. <laughs> and there's another Kanye song. I think it's one with Jay-Z. They, they mention uh, Chick-fil-A as well. So definitely mm -hmm. 
So that's the that's the uh, that's the company Chick Fil A keeps. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think Chick Fil A should be allowed to close seven days a week. To be honest with you, Nadia. Um, you know, one of the, so you're not a frequent uh, flyer. No, there. <laughs> no, no. And I think that one of the lawmakers said that if people want fried chicken, that they should be able to have it on Sundays. And I, I, I disagree with that. I don't think that there's any rights to fried chicken. I don't think those exist <laughs> in our country. Um, you know. There's a way that this makes sense from a policy standpoint. I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but the state could potentially get more sales tax revenue uh, from those Sunday sales. Uh, but Chick-fil-A could say people irrationally love our food. And so, you know, if you put like a Kenny Rogers Roasters or something like that in there, which is garbage, uh, okay. you know, you're not increasing sales. So, yeah, you know, I agree that, you know, Chick-fil-A is not good. But if you've ever had a Kenny Rogers Roasters, if you've ever had that. Not no, I don't even know what that is. Like it's that's... like a, it's like also a highway stop chicken restaurant, and so mm. you know that you know it pains me to say because I'm a big fan of Kenny Rogers, the artist. Um, Are you? But uh, you know, especially his collaborations with Dolly Parton in the '80s. Mm-hmm. But but the food is bad. So long Got way it. of saying I don't like when liberals engage in unnecessary culture war policy making either. Uh, yeah. Just the way I don't like it when conservatives do it. But what what are your thoughts? Is that- yeah. So, you know, like you, you mentioned, you mentioned some benefits that might be reaped from it. Like the bill's meant to give travelers in New York a, varied, a variety of op- food options, particularly like over the weekend. Um, some lawmakers are defending Chick-fil-A and their religious freedom, while others are just simply like boycotting the company in general. I mean, for me, this is tricky as someone who stopped, you know, shops at there. I shop at like my neighborhood, South Asian store like grocery store owned by a muslim who shuts down on fridays between the hours of 12 and 2 for friday jumma prayer <laughs> i think i'm okay with that but mm-hmm. um you know i'm not saying that it's not right but it doesn't like isn't that what capital like hashtag capitalism is all about like you get to do what you want when you own a business <laughs> i don't know um so it will be interesting to see because if this becomes the norm in new york if this bill is passed i do wonder what other states would do um, how employees might be um, impacted. Um, some folks might gain from it from from being employed on a Sunday. Some get paid time and a half, while others may feel like their religious freedoms are being, um, you know, stomped on. So yeah, yeah, it's it seems it seems frivolous to me. And 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 you know, I live here in Utah. I'm not of the Latter Day Saint faith. Sure. And most businesses are closed on Sunday. And you yeah. know what? It's kind of delightful. It's Isn't kind of delightful. It nice? That things aren't open on Sunday, right? Yeah. Like I, I, when I grew up and going uh, in small towns, uh, you know, things didn't open on Sunday, right? Sure. And it was, it was, it was the day to not engage in hypercapitalism. So I, I'm fine with it. Um, I, you know, I disagree with Chick-fil-A's stance on a lot of other issues, but on this one, I'm, I, yep. I'm in support of if they don't want to serve their, uh, you know, uh, their fried chicken, very average chicken <laughs> on Sunday, I'm fine with it. All right. All right, so, let's talk about Philadelphia, my, you know, my second favorite city, my, yep. my second home. Yep. You know, and uh, I was listening to the Welcome to Miami song this last oh, week, Nadia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I knew that one. Yeah. And Will Smith groups LA and Philly in that song. And well, just, he's from Philly. I know, but it's like, yeah. but those two should not be grouped together. Okay. Philadelphia yeah, and should. LA, they're, they're all, they got to Very they're, different they're, cities. They're, they're both staying jiggy, uh, according yeah. to Will Smith. But- <laughs> Nadia, the uh, the newly inaugurated mayor, Sherelle Parker, which we've talked about on this show, uh, signed an executive order this couple of weeks ago that removes the college degree requirements for certain city jobs where learning, uh, you know, so uh, don't have to have a college requirement. Uh, apparently, 
learning how to play beer pong at a four-year institution is not essential to all you know, city jobs. <laughs> you know, tell Brett Kavanaugh as, that. <laughs> as I did, as I learned, go buffs. Um, so only about a third of Philadelphia residents aged 25 and older have a bachelor's degree, according mm. to the U.S. Census Bureau. Um, you know, I, I, I see this very positively. What, what, what do you, yeah. like, what do you think? Same here. I'm here for it. That's kind of be my uh, slogan here. More inclusive job descriptions. Uh, you know, I'm asked to review many job descriptions from clients for inclusive mm. language, including from like a gendered, racial, socioeconomic, or any other kind of form of like bias or uh, discrimination perspective. So describing the role as needing like a college degree when the role really does not may not require that. I would mm -hmm. say like don't make level of schooling a requirement unless a candidate actually needs a degree for that job um or to do the job i, I should say mm -hmm. um i'll also say like when you put in there that you're when you do put that in there you're assuming that someone went to a four-year college um and that you may not be open to the possibility of other ways of learning like trade schools or certifications in a subject or even someone's prior work experience mm -hmm. and exposure and, you know, gaining different types of skills and the transfer of skills. Mm -hmm. um, I'll just kind of wrap this up with just like it, to me, it suggests such a bias against other qualified candidates, right? Like companies that require a minimum academic criteria oftentimes perpetuate uh, like a socioeconomic inequality or bias. For sure. So, right. For sure. I think especially within it. Yeah, I think especially within the city jobs, state jobs, right? So like those four-year college requirements were meant to be exclusionary, right? Yeah. It's part of a meritocracy myth. Um, you know, for decades, it kept good paying, good benefits, city and state jobs out of the reach for folks that are underrepresented at four-year institutions, typically yeah. non-white workers. And so, uh, you know, not neither of my parents had four-year degrees, right? Mm -hmm. And so my, my mother worked at the state of Colorado for 35 years. Uh, and is joining very nice retirement, yeah. always had access to really great benefits, you know, and if that four year requirement was in place in 1971, which first started working there, you know, she, you know, that would have changed the trajectory of, you know, and obviously, you know, she's a white woman, so things could have been somewhat different. Um, but it just, it, it might have changed the trajectory of, of, of her life, her career as well. So, you know, mm -hmm. these are the types of jobs that they lift people into the middle class and they help uh, folks pay for a better future for their kids, right? Totally. So these are really important jobs. And I think it's a great first step. And I think other states should follow and other companies are starting to follow as well. Absolutely. You know, organizations should want to engage with and seek those those candidates that have like a growth mindset who are like willing to learn new skills or build their capabilities. Mm. So it's just a reminder, you know, that, that candidates, um, you know, they can learn the role and grow into it or transfer the skills that they already have. And then, of course, it, it widens your candidate pool in general. So reap that benefit of a diverse team. Okay. Well, thanks for that, Rob. Let's take a break and we'll be back with our rants and raves. Welcome back, folks. We are um, at the raves and rants section of our episode. Um, I'll go fast. We have it's it's the extended, sandwich. extended raves and rants, right? Extended raves and rants. And it's a sandwich. I'll start with the rave. So um, according to ABC News, California becomes the first state to offer health insurance to um, all undo undocumented immigrants. Um, and just to give you a little bit more information, about 700,000 adults between the ages of 26 and 49 will be eligible as of January 1st this year. 
Um, and so, yeah, California will welcome the new year by, you know, becoming the first state to offer health insurance to all of its undocumented immigrants. And I'm really, really excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so immigrants deserve health care too, apparently in, in the state of California. Do they? Huh? Yeah. That's what yeah. I hear. Yeah. No, they Very do. Progressive. I mean... Just really out of the box thinking there in California. That governor, Governor Newsom. Uh, that sunshine just makes them makes people happier. Right? <laughs> it really does. <laughs> it really, truly does. I know. I got an extended. Speaking of sunshine, mm. uh, talk about the state, great state of Utah. I got an extended rant here. Okay. In the context of our of our Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, right? So as we speak, Utah legislatures uh, legislators, I believe that's what we call them, are working to craft anti DEI legislation. Uh, Utah's governor Spencer. Cox said recently that having people looking to get state jobs explain their thoughts on DEI is evil, right? So, you know, so sometimes, uh, you know, if you're one way to get around um, and diversity requirements is just ask people how they think about DEI. And so I think that he he called these types of uh, practices evil. Uh, So I do want to give a little bit of a tiny little rave to the Salt Lake City Tribune, which published the governor's quotes on DEI related to issues immediately follow coming out of the murder of George Floyd uh, and all of his support for Black Lives Matter and cataloged all the different statements that the governor made uh, up until now, right? So from I'm totally on board with Black Lives Matter to now DEI is evil. Okay. And so not- a, done not a lot a, of growing in that. He's <laughs> had a lot of time to reflect. Or maybe not growing, yeah. He's had okay. a lot of time to reflect, Nadia. Sure. And uh, so you, you know me, right? I try to stay above the fray. Uh, on some of these things. Um, but, you know, think about how limited your moral character has to be. Be like leading the parade yeah. three years ago yeah. to now actively working with conservative lawmakers to limit the reach and effectiveness of DEI programs, particularly on college campuses in your state, which is not a beacon or paragon for diversity uh, to start to with. To begin right? with, yeah. Right. You know, so I think about this in the context of our Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that the governor will be giving, like many governors of states all across this country, they're trying to do away with DEI. They'll be giving a speech somewhere for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and they're inevitably going to be quoting <laughs> the same right? speeches. The, there's only one speech they know. I can yeah. I can assure you there will yeah. only be one speech that they're quoting from, yeah. right? And so this is part of my annual invitation to white people to listen to or read or reflect upon uh, the works of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., outside of the I Have a Dream speech, right? And so uh, one of my favorites is a speech called The Birth of a New Nation. And in it, Dr. King says that um, the oppressor never voluntarily gives freedom to the oppressed, uh, that privileged classes never give up their privileges without strong resistance, and that freedom only comes through persistent agitation, right? And mm. so as we go into 2024, let's let this be the year of persistent agitation uh, mm. because we're going to need to do it. I'm snapping over here for you, Rob. I love that. Thank you for for sharing that. Um, I I also just want to like I feel like Utah this this governor and all of these politicians that are like super anti DEI, whatever they think that is, they just want to remain relevant. Like that's what they're doing. They probably do believe it too. But pandering. I, they're, pandering. they're pandering. That's right, and it's. Yes. Um, so I, I love the encouragement to seek all, you know, other work that Dr. King has done. I'll also just encourage folks, um, as we are leading up to Black History Month, um, which is, uh, you know, a great month to reflect on, um, 
advocacy for uh, BIPOC folks, but also outside of that month, you can do it. And behind mm-hmm. me is uh, a picture of Malcolm X, who I really um, treasure and admire. Um, there's other black activists um, from, you know, cent- from a century ago mm-hmm. to even modern day that um, also offer a lot to say and that are um, just as great to quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Right? There's like, let's many not things use the same quote. quote. Yeah. Let's not use the same quote let's, every single Yeah, year. yeah. Let's do something. Let's catalog and when we come back, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's highlight some white politicians MLK. quoting from the I Have a Dream. Yeah. Let's, see if let's I can... do that with organization <laughs> leaders too. Like, how Absolutely. many? I'd love that. All right. Awesome. All right, Nadia, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Inclusive Collective right after this. Welcome back to Inclusive Collective. Nadia, got one more rave for us. Okay. So according to disabilityscoop.com, the IRS said that the federal gift tax exclusion increased to $18,000 effective at the start of this month. The annual deposit limit for ABLE, which is the Achieving a Better Life Experience, accounts is tied to that measure. So it will uh, rise as well. The new limit is up to $17,000. Last year, thanks to inflation, and it reflects change in the maximum allowable ABLE account contribution that's similar to what's been seen in recent years. Um, A little background on ABLE for folks that don't know. They offer people with disabilities the ability to save up to $100,000 without sacrificing eligibility for Social Security and other government benefits. Never heard about this. I don't know if you've heard about this. Um, Medicaid can be retained no matter how much is in the accounts. Currently, ABLE accounts are offered through programs in 47 states, many of which are open to individuals nationwide if they have a disability that onset before age 26. And under a 2022 federal law, that age limit will rise to 46 starting in 2026. So I feel like this is not just a rave, but an informative tip (laughs) for those who are interested in learning about that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Nadia. I think I'm going to start a segment this year. you know, and all the different news segments that we highlight, the things that we like and that we, 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 everyone in our audience probably supports. And it's going to be called, this is something that will go away if Donald Trump is elected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is the kind of shit that would never happen mm-hmm. if there was a conservative president. Right. And so it's yeah. really important to think about, like, you know, that elections matter. And so we're talking about this is an election year. And so, these type of things that are very important, you know, for, for a lot of the communities that we support and navigate for. We'll get to election season when we get there. <laughs> but yes, we're there. <laughs> we are there. Uh, okay, Rob. Well, that's it for Inclusive Collective this week. Just a reminder that if you're looking for DEI and workplace culture strategy consulting, problem solving, or training, you can reach out to me at Nadia at NazConsultants.com. And you can reach out to Rob at Rob at TacanoConsulting.com. Inclusive Collective is a production of Refillion Media and edited by Ari Mathay. We'd love to hear from you folks, so please send us your feedback at Inclusive Collective at Refillion.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Please be sure to follow us on LinkedIn so you can um, subscribe to our IC monthly newsletter, which is not really monthly now. It's more like... Um, oh, it's monthly. It's, it's monthly. Fun. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're Brain- back. We're back. We're back. January 2024, <laughs> baby. Um, and if you like what you heard, please, please download, subscribe, and rate us. Please do like five stars wherever you get your podcast today. Thanks, folks, for listening. We will be back next week. Be well. Thanks, Nadia. 